It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City, where the Indians are taking on the Kansas City Royals this weekend. Coming up on our show this week, we'll take a look at the week gone by, hear from Indians relief pitchers Nick Goody and Sean Armstrong. They've both been part of an outstanding bullpen for the Tribe. We'll also have a farm report from the Indians Director of Player Development, James Harris, and also hear from the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum right here in Kansas City, Bob Kendrick. That's all coming your way shortly as Tribe Talk gets rolling right here on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City where the Indians are playing the Royals this weekend in a three-game series. Time now for the Week in Review, and we take you back to last Sunday at Progressive Field where the Indians closed out a homestand with a 12-4 win over the Seattle Mariners, and they got it going early thanks to shortstop Francisco Lindor. The 1-0, swung on, belted deep right, down the line it goes. It is a home run. Well, Frankie Lindor didn't miss. A towering blast down the right field line. It's his seventh home run, tops on the ball club, and the Indians have a one-nothing lead. Oh, did he tee off? Game was tied at one in the third inning when Jason Kipnis came through for the tribe. The young is ready to pitch, and here it comes to Kipnis. Swing and a double play ball that gets through the hole into right field, a base hit. Bradley around third is going to score. Throw to the plate, not anywhere in time. Ramirez scampers to third. Brantley scores, and Kipnis comes through. He didn't hit that ball very hard, but again, with Vogelback playing in front of the runner at first, he found that hole on the right side. That looked off the bat like it could be a double play ball, and the Indians instead get an RBI hit from Kipnis. Perfectly placed in that hole on the right side of the infield. And a big hit for Kipnis to put the Tribe on top. Still in the third inning, the Indians would start to pile on as Abraham Almonte came through with a little help from Mother Nature. DeYoung twirling that ball in the bent position, now straightens, checks second, comes to the plate. A swing and a towering fly ball to right. Fairly deep, Gamble's back, fighting the sun near the track. He can't find it! The ball hits the track, goes up against the wall. In to score is Kipnis. Almonte's at third. Gamble lost the ball in the sun. And the Indians lead it 4-1. to one. And Almonte ends up with a two-out RBI triple. Gamble is wearing sunglasses. He went back like he had it. He was fighting the sun. And the ball landed about five feet behind him. Hit the warning track and then bounced up against the wall. And again, that's a routine fly ball, and it just kept carrying with this win. 
Still in the third, Roberto Perez at the plate. DeYoung's ready. And the 2-1 delivery. Swung on a one-hopper to short. Off the glove of Segura. Into left field. Perez to first. And crossing home plate, El Monte. A one-hop smash that ate up Segura at short. And the Indians lead it 5-1. We'll see how it is scored. That's one of the harder-hit balls of the inning. And it'll be an RBI single off the glove of Segura at short. And give Roberto Perez his second hit of the game. And it becomes his third RBI of the year. And anything that could go wrong this inning for Seattle has. Then it was Lindor continuing to tack on in what proved to be a huge third inning for the Indians. The pitch. Swung on line drive, base hit. Down the right field line, headed toward the corner. Perez will score. Santana's on his way, being waved home. Lindor stops at second. Santana scores from first. And there's a game-breaker. A two-out, two-run double into the right field corner by Frankie Lindor, who's homered, doubled, and knocked in three runs already. And for the Indians, it's a six-run inning. 7-1 7-1 to one Cleveland. And Michael Brantley would cap off what would turn out to be an eight-run third inning going deep. Now the 2-2 pitch to Brantley. Swung on, hit high, hit deep to right. It's got a chance. It is gone. Michael Brantley with a mammoth two-run home run to right. And the Indians have scored eight here in the third and lead it 9-1 to one as Brantley has singled and homered this inning. His fifth home run, 17 RBIs. Wow. Later on in the ballgame, seventh inning, Roberto Perez would continue a fine day at the plate. Now the pitch. Swung on. This is hammered up the alley in right center. It'll take one hop and bang up against the wall. Extra bases for Perez. Chisinau scores. Flying around third. Heading home is El Monte. He'll score from first. And Roberto Perez with a two-run double up the alley in right center. He has a three-hit game. Three RBIs. And the Indians have scored three times in the seventh. And now lead 12-4. to four. And here comes pitching coach Mel Stottlemyre, Jr., And it was Zach McAllister on to finish things up in the ninth inning for the Indians. Here's the set. Here's the pitch. Swung on, hit high in the air to deep left. Geyer's backpedaling near the track. He makes the catch on the track. And ball game. The Indians are 14-10 and to end the month of April. As they pummel the Seattle Mariners here today by a final score of 12 to 4. And think of it this way, folks. If you are four games above 500 each month, you finish the season 24 games over 500, and you can make plans for another October to remember. So the Indians had a 12 to 4 win over the Mariners, and it was on to Detroit to open up a 10-game road swing with the first of four against the Tigers Monday night. Detroit 7, the Tribe 1. Tuesday night, the Tigers 5, the Tribe 2. A tough start to the series for the Indians, but they would turn things around on Wednesday night thanks to outstanding pitching from Carlos Carrasco and then some timely hitting from Jose Ramirez in what was a scoreless game in the fourth inning.
Here comes the 0-1. Swung on, and there's a high fly ball right center field. Hit well, headed to the gap. Collins dives, and he can't make the catch. It rolls up against the fence. One run is in. Right behind Lindor is Brantley. Ramirez thought about trying to come all the way around, but Mike Sarbaugh held him up. But that's a two-run triple for Jose Ramirez, and the Indians take a 2-0 lead. The Tigers did score runs, a single run, in both the fifth and sixth innings, but Carlos Carrasco would steady the ship with a strikeout to end the sixth. The pitch, swing and a miss, Carrasco. Gets the strikeout as he tied him up inside with a good fastball. Carrasco gets strikeout number six. Cleveland now leading by a score of 3-2 to two over the Tigers as we go to the seventh. Then it was the Andrew Miller show for two innings, the seventh and the eighth. Miguel Cabrera. He's gone deep four times this year. That gives him 450 career homers. Over 1,500 career RBIs. And oh yeah, a lifetime 320 hitter. 320. Now the 2-2 from Miller. Slider, strike three, called, backdoored him. Cabrera's out looking, Miller does it again, striking out four in his two innings of work. To the ninth we go, Cleveland with a 3-2 lead on Detroit. And Cody Allen was on in the ninth, laboring with his command, but he got a bunch of help behind the plate from Jan Gomes. 22,663 on another cold Detroit night. Allen's 1-1 pitch. And Adusi takes a curve in the dirt. What a block by Gomes. Ball squirted out in front of him, but nobody could advance. Gomes has saved Cody Allen at least five wild pitches this inning. He has put a clinic on on how to block a ball in the dirt. Wow, what a play by Gomes. And in the end, it was Allen doing what he does best. The Indians' bullpen trying to extend its string to 34 consecutive innings without giving up an earned run. The 2-2 pitch. Strike three, called ball game. Allen locks up a Ducey with a fastball at the knees, and the Indians prevail 3-2. to two. Cody Allen is perfect 7-for-7 seven seven in save situations, and the Indians, a formula that's become so familiar. Good starting pitching, get the lead, and turn it over to Miller and Allen. So the Indians had the win 3-2 to two over Detroit. Thursday's scheduled game four of the series was postponed due to rain, and it was on to Kansas City, where the Indians opened up a three-game weekend series with the Royals on Friday night. Kansas City three, the Tribe one, the final score. So that's a look back at your week in review. When we come back, we'll hear from Indians relievers Nick Goody and Sean Armstrong, and also, still to come, the weekly farm report with James Harris. Stay tuned. More to come after this on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City. Well, the Indians' bullpen has been absolutely tremendous for most of the season, and most recently they've been on quite a tear in terms of scoreless innings. In fact, with uh, some more scoreless baseball in the series against Detroit, the Indians went into play Friday night 
with 12 consecutive games of scoreless baseball from their bullpen covering 34 and a third innings. One of those young arms that the Indians are not all that familiar with but has been a real boost to this ball club has been right-hander Nick Goody. Since being called up from AAA Columbus, Goody has appeared in seven games. He has yet to allow a run over nine and two-thirds innings of work. And when we caught up with him earlier this week, he talked about what's been the biggest key for him to be consistent no matter what the situation is. I think just working with um, Mickey and JB and going over scouting reports and then obviously being familiar with the catchers and um, Tito. And this one one thing Tito said in front of the clubhouse, you know, was he wants us to be comfortable when we get here. And that was huge for me because being comfortable is, I mean, you know, you can be comfortable in the minor leagues. You're spending a lot of time there. But coming to the big leagues is a big step. So being comfortable being around the guys, getting to know that, you know, they're accepting you and, and everybody has been accepting. So um, that's a that's a big key important factor for me coming in and then, you know, going out and just trusting your stuff. And that's something else that, you know, we've talked about is never giving in and going out and just doing your job. And, you know, at the end of the day, whatever happens, you know, you left it all out on the field. And you had a chance to do that. And it seems odd to say because the score was somewhat lopsided, but it just felt like a key point in the game yesterday that could have turned in a hurry if you don't get the job done. And um, from your perspective, to pitch in games like that, how important is that for you to, to have that opportunity? Oh, I mean, that's, like I was saying, I mean, that shows trust that Tito has. Um, you know, obviously, the guys who came in before me did a good job of keeping it close, you know, and then our guys put up the crooked number in the inning, which was awesome. And um, I think any time a reliever goes in with other guys' runs on, um, you know, it always it's a little more satisfying whenever you can get out of that without surrendering anybody else's runs or anything. Because, um, you know, you ultimately you wouldn't want to give up any runs ever. But it stings, I think, a little more for a reliever when you give up somebody else's runs. So, you know, being able to go in there in that situation and and just be comfortable and attack the hitters um, and then obviously trust your defense and trust the catchers. They had a good game plan. And um, that's, I mean, that's that's all you can ask for, you know. Nick Goody joining us, Indians relief pitcher. When we talked to you toward the tail end of spring training, you you were on the bubble. You did not eventually make the team, but... You seemed at peace with what would, whatever might happen because you felt at some point you would be here. Uh, why was that, and and how did you handle not making this club for opening day, but but knowing that maybe it would happen at some point? Um, well, the communication between Chris and Tito and Mickey and everybody has been awesome. The honest, I mean, they've all been honest up front. And, I mean, uh, like I said, as a player, that's all you can really ask for is just, you know, be honest with me. Tell me when I'm doing well. Tell me when I'm doing bad. I mean, I know when I'm doing bad. I know, you know, you know when you're doing well. And um, I felt, I mean, obviously, obviously you want to, everybody wants to make the team. And, you know, so, I mean, there was a little bit of, like, dang, but that, whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter where you start. It's where you finish. And, if I can help the team win in any capacity of the year and we get to a playoffs, like that's really all that matters. I mean, um, and then the job's not finished. You, got, you know, when I got sent to AAA, it was like, all right, well, we 
let's continue to keep doing what we're doing and stay in the same game plan. And when the opportunity arises, let's try and make the most of it. And, you know, ride the wave as long as you can. And I know I have an option left. So, I mean, if anything were to happen, we get a long game, I go in. I mean, I know the next guy who comes up, whoever, Crockett, you know, Armstrong, Clep, whoever it might be, I know is going to come up and do the same same job. And it's just – it's good winning teams have really good AAA as well, and they can just interchange parts. For fans who may not be that familiar with you because you're new to the ball club, you're acquired in the offseason. And when fans see a trade in the offseason, they may think, oh, the guy's sitting at home and he takes a phone call, and boom, there, <laughs> trade's done, you're on your way. Uh, for you, it sounded like it was a little bit different. Explain the situation when you were notified you were traded from the, the Yankees to the Indians. Right, so I got designated right bef- the night before my honeymoon. So, you know, it's like you're just a bag of emotion. Like, it's just you're, out, you're all over the place mentally. I, I know that night I'd like 12 o'clock, I just took off on like a run for like... <laughs> I see, like, I, I never run, but you know, you got to clear your mind somehow. So, um, just put on my favorite music and ran. And then eventually, me and my wife Kate went to St. Lucia. And you know, it's hard not to think about it because you there's always, you know, what ifs going through your mind. What if this? What if that? But you know, I mean, ultimately, a year I was, you know, I was at peace with it. I know, you know, God has a plan for me. And wherever I end up, I know that's where it's, I'm supposed to go. And but the first couple of days were pretty like, you know, I'm checking my phone, I'm sending texts to my agents like, hey, have you heard anything? Like, you know, I mean, but that's human. Like, it's human nature. You want to know. You want to feel safe and secure. And then I think on the fifth day or something, when I finally got the text, it was like, all right, now we can blow it out. Like, <laughs> it was awesome. So, I mean, it was a huge relief. And, you know, obviously with the success that they've had and playing for Francona and, uh, you know, knowing Andrew Miller and playing with Cody Allen and Doors from my hometown. Dan went to USF. I mean, it's like there's just so many, like, I know it's like a big family. Like, a lot of guys are from Florida. A lot of guys have played in Florida. So it's easy to get along with them. We all share similar ideas and whatnot, and we pretty much know where everybody's from. So it's, it's cool. Nick, thanks a lot for sharing some time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. That's Nick Goody. Indians right-handed relief pitcher who's done some great work since being called up from AAA Columbus. Now, a young man who had an outstanding spring, opened the season with the ball club, went back to Columbus, and now his back with the ball club is Sean Armstrong. And he came on Wednesday, or came on our warm-up show Wednesday after working in Tuesday's game after being recalled from Columbus. And we talked to Sean about what he's tried to do to make sure he maintains the positives from spring training, regardless of whether he's here or at AAA Columbus. You know, it's just the routine that I've, they've helped me, you know, develop and everything. I just try and keep that consistent no matter whether it's here or Columbus. You know, and just, I mean, while I'm here, trying to take care of business and stay here. But, you know, it's a numbers game. And if I do happen to go back down to Columbus, just keep doing what I've been doing, hopefully keep being consistent pitching, and then hopefully it gets me back up here. Nick Goody had mentioned earlier in the week uh, in a similar spot, and he said just the, the communication has been extremely important to him between him and, and manager Terry Francona and Mickey Calloway in the front office. Uh, how big a difference can that make for you being in kind of a similar situation with options? Oh, I mean, it's huge. I mean, them bringing us in in spring training and having the meeting with all of us there, and just kind of explaining the process and, you know, how the options can work, which we all know how they work, but, you know, how they can work throughout the season. 
and then just whenever you do get sent down Tito and Mickey and the attorney and all those guys they do such a wonderful job of just kind of explaining the whole situation you know reasons behind it sometimes there are no reasons behind it and they and they let you know that so I mean just the communication that's upfront and honest I mean it just makes things easier on the baseball field and outside the baseball field as well and obviously externally things are different at the AAA level uh, what do you do to make sure you still have that that little extra that you need when you take the mound even at that level I mean, anywhere you pitch is 60 feet, 6 inches. I mean, obviously there's bigger ballparks, bigger crowds up here in the big leagues, but as far as, you know, taking care of business and, and controlling what you can control, I just try and treat it the same every time I get to baseball. John Armstrong joining us. Uh, we've been talking pitching, but uh, we have some good stuff to talk about here for those moms and dads out there that, that may have some kids who are ball players and they want to make sure they stick with their studies. Uh, Sean, you, you took an exam, a college exam, earlier today as part of your online work to get your degree from East Carolina University. And, and I know you've been in pro ball for a while. Uh, how long has it been that you've been trying to, to complete your degree work from East Carolina as, as you've made your way up through pro ball? Well, I left in 2011, and then I started doing some research last spring on the major that I was going for because it was physical therapy. Well, pre-physical therapy, that's what I wanted to go to school for. And there were some stipulations and stuff to where I couldn't take those those classes to finish my degree. And East Carolina did such a good job of just communicating and getting me in to classes and everything. And now I'll graduate in December with university studies with a Bachelor of Science. So it's pretty exciting stuff and just kind of happy and ready to get it done. Have there been times where it's been really tough to make sure you study enough to, to get the work done and and do it in a, in a real good manner where you might get decent grades too? It wasn't, it wasn't ever too bad. Uh, honestly, the beginning of spring training was a little difficult having to kind of maneuver everything around since I was doing everything in the afternoon back at home, and then I kind of had to switch everything up with the time zone and all that stuff. But, I mean, just kind of kept my planner, stayed on top of it, and just tried to knock out each assignment the day it came out. Now, surely there's people here who would help you with your studies. Who, who in that clubhouse is a real good influence on you from an academic standpoint? Well, I mean, I don't think really many people know that I'm going to school in there, but I know Shaw's going taking classes as well. So, I mean, we talked a little bit about it, but, you know, as, as far as the schoolwork goes, I just try and kind of leave the book talk to myself and, you know, just knock that stuff out and just talk about life and baseball at the field. And... As you get closer, will you be in a position where you can walk at, at graduation, and, and is that really important to you to make sure that you're a part of that? Well, I initially wasn't going to walk just because it's been a while, but Mama Armstrong wasn't having that one. So uh, I have a research paper that will be my final class in the fall for my graduation, and I, obviously I can't do an internship. So it will be a research paper, and I'll walk in December. That's great stuff and uh, an outstanding accomplishment to be sure. Sean, thanks a lot for coming by. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's Sean Armstrong, Indians reliever, who's off to a real nice start for the tribe out of that bullpen. Stay tuned. When we return, we'll hear from Indians Director of Player Development, James Harris, as we continue with Tribe Talk from Kansas City on the Cleveland Indians Cleveland Clinic Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you. As we join you from Kansas City this weekend, Kauffman Stadium, where the Indians are taking on the Royals. Each week we have a weekly farm report, and we check in with Indians Director of Player Development, James Harris. And this week we focus on AA Akron, where it's uh, one of those years where a lot of the good young prospects are at the AA level for the Tribe. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at you look at that club. There's a lot of names there of guys that that, that have improved over the time that they've been in our organization, and that we're really excited about going forward, seeing what they can do. And uh, let's start position player wise. In the outfield, a, a young man we saw a lot of in Major League Spring Training, Greg Allen, made a nice impression there. And what has he done to build on that now over the first month of the minor league season? Well, first thing he has is he probably has a, the second best smile in the organization behind Francisco Lindor. Uh, he comes to the park every day with a positive attitude, works extremely hard, is athletic, and brings everything he has and puts it in the game. You can see that when you watch him play, and you can also see that when you watch him prepare. So it's, it's no surprise to us that he's having some success and has become a little bit of a fan favorite there in Akron. And when you look at, at his game, uh, I know he won a gold glove on the minor league level for his play defensively last year. What are some of the things that, that he's working on to, to try and make those next steps now? It's just consistency, and I think that's what happens with, with all young players. Like a, a guy like this, I mean, you don't win a gold glove without having a consistent consistent glove, but that comes with his work day in and day out. So being able to be efficient with his routes, put himself in a situation to, to make the routine play routinely, and then, of course, be able to, to use the arm as a weapon um, when balls get out there. On the infield, Yu Chang, another position player that we saw quite a bit of during spring training. And, and I know we saw him move around a little bit in spring training, but it sounds like he, he's anchoring in there at shortstop now. And what's the thinking behind that for him in an organization where you have a, a top-flight shortstop in the major leagues? But, but for his development, why is it important for him to settle in at that one position? Yeah, I mean, one is important because he's a good shortstop. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, when when Lindor was a was at that level, and I wasn't here then. But it didn't make sense necessarily to to move him all around either. Now he'll he'll get some opportunities at other positions, but we're really excited about what he can do at shortstop. So we wanted him to to be able to continue to develop there. And if you look through the rest of that infield, there's some other really good players. Um, that can that are playing the positions that they're playing. So to take him and put him at a different position is taking someone else off of that position also. So it's a good problem to have, but it is a little bit challenged when you have a lot of good players in that infield. And we saw some some good defense from him in the limited time that we did see him in spring training. How's he coming along at the plate? Ah, starting to, starting to put it together. Um, as like I said, with young players, you're trying to get some consistency. But his approach is good. His work is good. And he comes to the park every day ready to to, to challenge uh, the pitcher. So those are things that, that we look for, and he's a guy who brings it for us. A couple of different players in unique situations that uh, we haven't necessarily heard a whole lot about. Uh, for the hardcore fans who follow spring training, they may remember a play late in the game where Mark Mathias uh, rolled over and, and suffered a, a bad injury. Uh, I believe it was his shoulder his throwing shoulder, but that sounds like he's back and, and doing okay, and, and it didn't look good when it happened, but uh, it, a nice recovery for him. And, and uh, is he back on the field now for AA Akron? Yeah, so he's back on the field now. Um, we're really excited about him. He was itching to get out there. The good news is it wasn't the throwing shoulder, um, so it allowed him to get out there a little bit quicker. Um, but for him, um, really excited about getting out there in Akron. It's a, it's a challenge in the level. It's both a challenge – uh, the game's going to speed up just a little bit for him, but he's ready. If you saw him during spring training, he's another guy who comes with a positive attitude, smile on his face, put, puts in work, and is a talented player. So 
we're, we're really happy for him to be able to get out. Comes from a good family. Like he's a guy that 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 fans should root for. When you look at Tyler Krieger, another player who I know is trying to to get it rolling there at the Double A level, and this spring moved around a little bit from the standpoint of playing in the World Baseball Classic. And I know for sometimes for major league players it takes them away from where they'd like to be, but for a player in his spot, where he is in his development, what can that time in, in the World Baseball Classic benefit for him? Yeah, the good news for him, it, it, it can bring confidence. Uh, he went out there for Team Israel, played against some of the best in the world, and it's a reminder to him and us that guys at the double-A level are some of the best baseball players in the world. <laughs> so it just so happens that they're, they're so close to the, to the major leagues that you don't necessarily hear about them as much. But for him, it brought confidence. If you've seen him at the beginning of this year, he's having some success, and that success is directly tied to his process. Has a good process, is a hard worker, um, has some injuries earlier in his career, so he learned a lot about his body, and now he's using all of the things that he's learned and the confidence that he's built both at the World Baseball Classic and in the spring and applying that to a season this year. And uh, it's pretty exciting for him. James Harris joining us, Indians Director of Player Development. And uh, let's go behind the plate where I know a lot of fans are excited about Francisco Mejia. They got a chance to see him in Major League Spring Training where he was extremely impressive. And uh, now a month into his AA season, new level for him. What are some of the, the challenges that he's facing and how has he handled it so far? Well, I mean, some of the challenges are going to be managing a pitching staff. It's a higher level of, of competition, which he's he's working really hard on both of those and having success with both of those. But the, the cool part about, about him at this level is we just talked about five players before we talked about him. So he's, he's there with a higher, higher talent of individuals at this point um, and, and being a good teammate and managing that. I mean, a lot of times behind the plate, that's that's your leader out there. And he's accepted that role and working hard to, to be a rock for our guys. And you mentioned that work behind the plate. Sometimes it's easy to get caught up in, in what he does offensively because it's so good. But uh, has, has he really embraced the, the need to, to really take care of things behind the plate and take care of his pitching staff? So one of the, a great example of one of the things that he's done is he's, he's progressed in his, in his English and he's he's done that. He found some confidence in that. And he's done a really good job of being able to, to relate to our players in English as well as in Spanish when he needs to, um, to to be able to provide some some stability to that pitching staff. So we're really excited about what he's done there. He's he's grown, and yeah, it, it'll be it'll be good for him this year. And one of the pitchers that he's catching is right-hander Julian Merriweather, the most recent Eastern League Pitcher of the Week. And what are you seeing from, from Merriweather, a, a young pitcher at a high level? Well, like you said, he's, he's won an award, so externally people are starting to see what we've seen internally for, for a little while now. I mean, he's, he's a guy who comes out and battles. Um, he strikes him out. Like, that's, that's, that's outstanding. 6'4", 200-pound big guy, uh, right-handed starter for us that, that really gives us um, a presence when he's out there, and, and every time he's out there, we have a chance to win. But it, it goes back to a guy that you just don't see it when he's out there on the mound. You see it with him every day of him trying to string some things together so he can have success when he hits the mound. And that's what that's what we like about him, and I'm glad that the process has led to some results that he can be proud of. Well, I have a hunch we'll be checking in on Akron quite a bit during the course of the season. But, uh, James, uh, good stuff as always. 
Thanks a lot. We'll catch up with you again next week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. That's Indians Director of Player Development, James Harris. Stay tuned. Our final segment of Tribe Talk comes your way shortly after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City where the Indians are taking on the Royals this weekend. And on Sunday afternoon, they will honor the Negro Leagues by wearing some throwback uniforms from back in the day when uh, the Negro Leagues and specifically the Kansas City Monarchs played a great brand of baseball. And uh, that's a focus of uh, some great activities out here on Sunday afternoon. We had a chance to catch up with the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, which is right here in Kansas City. If you're ever in town and you're looking for a a great look back at some great baseball back in uh, the early 1900s all the way up through the uh, 1960s, well, the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is a must-see. And the president is Bob Kendrick. We had a chance to visit with him recently, and he talked about the importance of the Negro Leagues and what this weekend is all about here in Kansas City. You know, any time across Major League Baseball that we see Major League teams, particularly those who are, you know, playing their games in cities that had Negro League Baseball and they put on those uniforms in a nod to the and respect to the history of the Negro Leagues, it makes us feel good. It's very important. It's a educational opportunity as well as that symbolic gesture of appreciation for what the Negro Leagues represented. And I think it takes on a whole other level, obviously, here in Kansas City with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum being headquartered here in Kansas City. And I think it's even more meaningful this year to have Cleveland in town because Cleveland plays such a great role in the integration of the game of baseball. And so when the two clubs put on those uniforms on Sunday, the 1942 Kansas City Monarchs against 1946 Cleveland Buckeyes, it'll be special. And you mentioned the Kansas City Monarchs and arguably – one of the more recognizable Negro League teams still today. And and explain why that is and how important they were uh, way before the Kansas City Royals were ever here. Oh, yeah. They were a model franchise. The Monarchs, established in 1920, operated. They were the longest-running operating Negro League franchise. They operated from 1920 really all the way through 1960 when the Negro League ceased operations. And amazingly, Jim, one losing season in the history of this organization, and that was during World War II when their roster had been decimated by World War II. They sent more players to the major leagues than any other Negro League franchise. They were a model of consistency. There are those who will say that the Kansas City Monarchs were the New York Yankees of the Negro Leagues. There are others who will say that the New York Yankees were the Kansas City Monarchs of the major league. They were that good. And when you look back on it, obviously Jackie Robinson, uh, so noteworthy for breaking in with the Dodgers and and everything that he went through there. But uh, some pretty good stuff with the Monarchs too, right? Yeah, a lot of people don't understand or realize that Jackie Robinson's professional baseball career began in Negro Leagues in 1945 right here in Kansas City with the Kansas City Monarchs and that it was indeed the Negro Leagues and the great city of Kansas City that gave America arguably its greatest hero in Jackie Robinson. 
and the museum makes no bone about it. We make the bold assertion that Robinson's breaking of the color barrier wasn't just a part of the civil rights movement. It was the beginning of the civil rights movement. And, and so this was before those more noted civil rights occurrences. This is before Brown versus the Board of Education. This is before Rosa Parks' refusal to move to the back of the bus. As the late great Buck O'Neill would so eloquently say, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a sophomore at Morehouse College when Robinson signed his contract to play in the Dodgers organization. President Truman would not integrate the military until a year after Jackie. So really, for all intents and purposes, that is what started the ball of social progress rolling in our country, baseball. And our country literally jumped on the coattail of baseball. Well, Bob, I, I know it's uh, a labor of love for you as, as you've been at this uh, at the top for, for the last six years. But you got into it as a volunteer, correct? Yeah, who knew? You know, I started as a volunteer in 1993. And I tell the story all the time. That's when I first met the late, great Buck O'Neill. And, and once you met Buck, it was all over. You wanted to be on Buck's team. And I started volunteering because I saw the passion that he had for this history and his desire to want to make sure that this story was preserved. Well, enjoy the weekend. It, it should be a lot of fun. Thanks so much for coming by. I appreciate it. Oh, Jim, thanks for having me. That's Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum right here in Kansas City, Missouri. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Great to have you with us. Join us next week when the Indians will return home. They'll be in the midst of a homestand, and we'll have our show from Progressive Field next weekend. Until then, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.